Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 15. Judges chapter 15, we'll be looking at this entire chapter, verses 1 through 20 this morning. And I think as Americans, many of us have grown a little battle-weary. We cringe whenever we hear about wars and rumors of wars. Maybe we struggle to understand why there is so much violence in our world today. But maybe it's even more troubling to read of such violence in the pages of Scripture. And we see that in the life of Samson. Samson is a, a warrior. He's a powerful judge who annihilates the enemies that he faces. And it can be confusing at times. be hard to put it all together. But hopefully this morning you'll have a better understanding of what God is up to in this text. God's grand design may not make sense of all the violence that we see today, every individual incident. But it does show us that his final purpose involves the elimination of darkness. His grand design shows shows what his ultimate goal is, what he's moving towards. And so we've seen the beginning of Samson's life. He's been raised up to rescue Israel from the hands of the Philistines. And the pattern that began in the previous chapter continues all the way through the end of chapter 16, at the end of the narrative of Samson. So over the course of six different episodes, um, the Philistines come up with some kind of solution to get rid of their problem, which is Samson. And then every opportunity, or each episode shows that it provided another opportunity for Samson to bring disaster upon the Philistines. Just when they think that they've been victorious, Samson comes through. And so the following, there's a, a table that Dale Ralph Davis gives of each one of these episodes explaining it, verses uh, 5 through 20 of chapter 14, you have this, the success. They were able to answer the riddle that Samson had given them to solve, right? So they think that they've, they've won. And yet, how does Samson satisfy his debt of giving them 30 pieces of clothing, 30 garments? He slays 30 Philistines, right? So in fact, he brings disaster upon them, that slaughter at Ashkelon. In our chapter, the first six verses of our chapter today, we'll see the success of Samson being gone. He's no longer at Timnah. The peace has been restored. The girl's been, his, his wife has been given to his best man. But of course, this will result in disaster upon them. 150 pairs of foxes or jackals, possibly, who then eliminate all of the crops of the people of Timnah. Verses 6 through 8 of the same chapter, you see the response, the successful, in their minds, of the successful response of the Philistines to burn Samson's wife and 
father-in-law to death. They think they're eliminating the problem, and Samson will respond to that with a great slaughter. And then in the second half, verses 9 through 17, we see the success of Samson being bound and handed over. Even, even the men of Judah are willing to submit to the Philistines in this and to hand Samson over, bound to them by new ropes. But then there's disaster as he breaks those bonds. Those binds and slaughters 1,000 Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. Finally, in the last chapter, chapter 16, we'll see them setting up Samson through Delilah for an ambush, uh, but he brings disaster upon them, in fact, removing the gates of the city. You'll have his hair finally shaved at the end Verses uh, 4 through 30, chapter 16. And, and even the reader now thinks, oh, this is it. This is the end for Samson. And it is. But in his end, he defeats more Philistines than he ever did in his life. So it's a remarkable uh, story uh, that is consistent throughout each episode. The disaster or the success that the Philistines think that they're establishing results in disaster. And so before we read this chapter, let's ask the Lord for his help in understanding it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the story of Samson and for the way it points us forward to an even greater judge, to our Lord and sovereign Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us to see those parallels. Help us to not just see them, but then to understand our proper response to that, that we would ourselves be subdued and submit under the Lord's rule and reign in our hearts, and that we would trust in him to bring deliverance from the power of darkness. It's in Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Read with me Judges chapter 15. After some days at the time of wheat harvest... Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat, and he said, I will go in to my wife in the chamber, but her father would not allow him to go in, and her father said, I really thought you utterly hated her, so I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, this time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. So Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took torches, and he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to the stacked grain and the standing grain, as well as the olive orchards. Then the Philistines said, who has done this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. And Samson said to them, If this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you, and after that I will quit. And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow. And he went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock of Etam. Then the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. 
And the men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? They said, we've come up to bind Samson to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam and said to Samson, do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, as they did to me, so have I done to them. And they said to him, we have come down to bind you, that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. They said to him, no, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire. And his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey. And put out his hand and took it. And with it, he struck 1,000 men. And Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey have I struck down a thousand men. As soon as he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone out of his hand, and that place was called Ramoth Lehi. And he was very thirsty, and he called upon the Lord and said, You have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant, and shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And God split open the hollow place that is at Lehi, and water came out from it. And when he drank, his spirit returned, and he revived. Therefore, the name of it was called in Hakor. It is at Lehi to this day. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. Amen. This is God's holy word. Well, what we see in this section is that God will restrain and conquer all his and our enemies until we are finally delivered from the power of darkness. We see an episode of that in the life of Samson here. Well, several episodes in this chapter. And it begins with verses 1 through 8, Samson's revenge in the north. It's what Timnah means. It's translated of the north. So his revenge upon Timnah. And we see in verse 1, after some days at the time of wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. And he said, I will go to my wife in the chamber. But her father would not allow him to go in. So at this point, Samson is unaware that his wife has been given to his best man. And as I mentioned last week, this is probably similar to a unique Palestinian Arab marriage where the husband would visit as a guest and bring presents and offerings to the family whenever he desired conjugal privileges. That's what Samson is doing here. He's bringing a gift of a young goat so that he can be with his wife. But, his, but her father refuses and it's interesting what he says. He, goes, he refuses to let Samson go into his wife because he thought that Samson utterly hated her. However, I've got this other daughter of mine who's even more beautiful 
than your wife. Why don't you give her a shot? That's ba- I mean, it's ridiculous, is it not? What kind of father would do such a thing? Would offer his younger daughter to a man whom he thought hated his older daughter. Well, he goes on in verses 3 through 5. Samson doesn't take that offer. He's disgusted. In fact, this, if, if, you, if you distrust everything Samson does, you would fully expect him to say, great, sounds wonderful. Yeah, bring her out. Right? If he's such a morally corrupt individual. And yet he refuses that offer. And it's important to know that he had visited at the time of the wheat harvest. Right? Because in understanding the severity of what happens in verses 3 through 5, we need to know that it's harvest time. So he has calculated the harm he would do in this section by gathering together these 300 foxes, as the ESV translates it, others use jackals. Um, the idea is we don't really know technically what kind of animal it's being referred to here, but foxes tend to be isolation isolationist? No, they're isolated, they're alone, they don't travel in packs. And so if he's gathered together 300 of them, it makes more sense if it would be pack animals like jackals. Um, But either way, he takes them in order to tie their tails together, attach a torch in between, light that torch and send them into the grain. Send them into the grain that's been stacked up and also into the standing grain, the grain that's still not been cut down to destroy all of their crops. It says he goes into the, the vineyards and the olive orchards as well. Sets fire to everything. But it's first important to note that this wasn't a rash decision that Samson just responds with you know, rash retaliation and revenge upon uh, this family. No, he's calculated in his response. But the fire does destroy... All of their crops, it's destroyed an entire year of harvest, which would have the dangerous potential of leading to a famine for the people of the land. And so it provokes the anger of not just the family that's wronged him, but every Philistine family in Timnah. And so just when you might be leaning towards showing some kind of compassion to the Philistines, You read the next verse, verse 6. Then the Philistines said, who has done this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. So the Philistines themselves, first of all, acknowledge that Samson is the woman's rightful husband. They don't buy this idea that he's been that she's been given to his companion and that that's now his her husband. No, Samson is considered her husband by them. And Samson's father-in-law had robbed him of fertility, robbed him of the chance of being with his wife. And so Samson understandably returned that favor by robbing the Timnites of the fertility of their crops. There's a, there's a correlation here to the judgment that he gives them. But the Philistines, having discovered why Samson set fire to their crops, 
they decide to return the favor by setting fire to Samson's wife and father. Right? The very thing that they had threatened in the previous chapter, chapter 14, verse 15, on the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband to tell us what the real is, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. And we said it wasn't the structure that they were concerned with. They were wanting to burn down his household, right? her and her father. And so they do that very thing here. Clearly, these Philistines know how to escalate matters rather quickly. And Samson's wife received, in fact, the same judgment that she had betrayed Samson to avoid. She'd betrayed her husband in order to avoid being burned to death, and that's exactly what happens to her in the next chapter. So in response to this, Samson takes vengeance upon them, striking the Philistines, it says in verse, verses 7 and 8, striking them hip and thigh. That's a, bit, a little bit ambiguous, but the idea presumably means that he has a, a great slaughter. In fact, it says that he, he strikes the Philistines hip and thigh with a great blow. Another translation of that is with a great slaughter. Right? So it, it, the idea is he, he has slaughtered a great number of Philistines in response to this. We're not told the extent of the damage. We're not told how many have died at this point. But it was enough to cause him to run for hiding to run to the rock of Etam. And so the fearful power of the Philistines was certainly no joke. Right? There was, it was perfectly reasonable for Samson's wife to be afraid of them when they threatened what they did in chapter 14. doesn't make her response honorable, but there was reason to fear them. They stir up a tremendous panic in the heart of Samson's wife as well as his father-in-law. But what we find here is that they were no match for the spirit-empowered Samson. And Dave Hatcher comments, those who do not turn in repentance after receiving a slighter judgment will find that God has been patient in withholding his full wrath. And there's opportunities along the way to respond to his judgment and repentance, to turn away from sin, to receive a lighter punishment. But if we refuse to respond in repentance, we find that God has been patient. He's been patient and he's only withholding his full wrath from being poured out upon you. And so fear of man can cause us to do all kinds of sinful deeds that we would look up back upon with great regret. Right? And in the moment we think that we're actually playing it safe by doing whatever pleases man, or we're making amends, or we're doing what they want, but the results are oftentimes disastrous. Right? And in some cases, the realization of the consequences of our decisions come far too late to make any change to the outcome. Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The fear of man lays a snare. It's, it's enticing. We think that we're going to be safe, but we're walking right into a trap. But it's those who trust in the Lord who are safe. So whenever we fear man more than we trust in the Lord, we forfeit the very safety that we're trying to preserve. 
Samson's victories over the Philistines uh, are, are escalating, right? And, and we have and we will question his moral integrity, especially when it comes to his lust for women. But we cannot doubt his confidence in the strength that God has given him. Right? Through Samson, we see something of the Lord's powerful deliverance at work in rescuing his covenant people. He brings freedom, deliverance from the power of darkness, which is a fearful thing. But the power of darkness is, is not something to ignore. It's a fearful thing, but it is no match for the one who has received all authority in heaven and on earth. Right? And so Samson points us forward to the true Savior, Jesus Christ, who's seated on the right hand of the Father and continues to restrain and conquer our enemies. Romans 8.31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If we have God on our side, why should we fear any man? So in addition to sending Samson into hiding, his great blow or slaughter arouses the Philistine army. And we see this in verses 9 through 17 as Samson has victory at Jawbone Hill. It's later named Ramoth Lehi, which is Jawbone Hill. Lehi means Jawbone. So it's named after Samson's slaughter of the Philistines. But in verses 9 through 10, the Philistines raid Lehi, which is located in the territory that belonged to Judah. So they've come into the, the territory of Judah, and it's clear that they're, they're ready to invade, to engage in war. And when the men of Judah questioned their motives for attacking them, the Philistines informed them that they are getting retaliation against Samson. And so Judah sends 3,000 men to fetch Samson. 3,000 men, they're aware fully of Samson's power. They're prepared, in fact, to go to war against him. And with a 3,000-man army against an army of one, it still wasn't enough. Right? In reality, 3,000 men would not have been able to adhere Samson if he had not willingly submitted to them. And Samson replies that he, he too was, was getting retaliation for the actions of the Philistines upon him. But it doesn't matter. The men of Judah inform him that they intend to bind him and hand him over to the Philistines. And Samson willingly goes. He lets them bind him as long as they swear not to kill him themselves. And so they were cowardly in this situation. They're cowardly willing to betray their own kinsmen, turning Samson, their own rescuer, their own savior, over to their Philistine oppressors. And that's when we come to this third occasion where the spirit of the Lord rushes upon Samson in verse 14. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that, was caught, that has caught fire and his bonds melted off his hands and he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put out his hand and took it and with it he struck 1,000 men. So again, for the third time here, the spirit of the Lord empowers Samson and this time he's given the strength to break new ropes that bound him 
and then to defeat 1,000 Philistines with a, the jawbone of a donkey. Now, I encourage you to look that up. Google that, the jawbone of a donkey. What you'll find is images that people have rendered of Samson wielding a very odd-shaped weapon as a club. And so he joins Jael's tent peg and Gideon's trumpets and torches and Shamgar's ox goad as those who use unlikely weapons in the book of Judges to defeat God's enemies. And Samson responds to this by composing a victory song. Much like Moses, there are so many parallels in this chapter to Moses. This song's a a little bit shorter, even a little interesting with the language chosen. But he responds with this song, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey have I struck down a thousand men. So he's composing and reciting this victory song and before throwing away the jawbone. And you can imagine him sitting down, exhausted and reflective. And there's a thousand dead Philistines piled high in the background. And Samson can only stare in shock at this bloody jawbone that he's used to kill them all. There's a play on words in this that donkey and, and heap are spelled the same in Hebrew. And so he could be stating that with a donkey's jawbone, he made piles upon piles of Philistine bodies, as you read in the ESV. Um, Or he could also, as the NIV translates, be talking about how he has made them donkeys, right? With a donkey's jawbone, he has turned them into donkeys. I think the first one is more accurate, the ESV, that he has piled them high. And so the, the Mofat translation, which I don't know much about that translation, but it actually gets this verse right. With the jawbone of an ass, I have piled them in a mass. That's pretty close to what you would hear, hear it in the Hebrew, right? Because it's the same word, the same sound. With the jawbone of an ass, I have piled them in a mass. He's celebrating the victory that God has given him. And it's clear that, he's give, that he gives God the glory because in the very next verses he says, he's thirsty and he says, you have granted this great salvation, verse 18, by the hand of your servant. And so we can declare this to be a victory song praised to, given in praise to God. Right? And all of this is building towards a climax at the end of Samson's life. What appeared to be certain defeat for Samson, where he ha- he's surrounded by 3,000 of his own men who have, who have offered him up, a lamb for the slaughter, and you have a 1,000 Philistines surrounding him, he has no chance. There's certain defeat, but in fact, it results in a great victory. And as the tribe of Judah betrayed their savior, Samson submitted to their cowardly desires, knowing that a greater judgment was about to fall, which would lead to a greater deliverance for his people. And so, of of course, Samson's betrayal reminds us of the betrayal of the greater savior, Jesus Christ. 
right, who was cowardly turned over by Judas Iscariot for 30 pieces of silver. And Jesus willingly endured the scandalous treatment of a criminal, knowing full well that his victory was secure. Right? The same spirit that empowered Samson to break the bonds of the new ropes and to slay 1,000 men with the jawbone of a donkey would later empower Jesus to break the bonds of the grave, giving him victory over sin and death. And so we too should sit in awe, right? Staring in shock at Christ's redeeming work in this song of victory. We should have a victory song welling up in our own hearts. And I do think that you should reflect upon this as, as your anticipation builds for the hymn of response. Right? Be thou my vision, as we'll sing of his victory and our trust in him. So with the victory secured and that song composed, Samson is now in desperate need of recovery. He needs water. So Samson's recovery at Collar's Spring. That's the meaning of in Hakor. Verses 18 through 20. Samson cried out to the Lord that he was dying of thirst. This is the first explicit mention where Samson acknowledges his dependence upon God. And he'll do this again at the end of his life, chapter 16, verse 28. This should clarify things. For anyone who would still question um, whether, whether Samson is aware of the Spirit's work in his life, right? those who question... Um, whether he understood that he was being used by God. He recognized who granted this great salvation. And he understood his own role as the Lord's servant. So he was accomplishing the Lord's will. However, it's also easy to see some parallels here between Samson and the wilderness generation. Right, who was complaining to God, fresh off the heels of victory, fresh off the escape, their own escape from Egypt, they begin to complain that God has forsaken them to die of thirst in the wilderness. And so, yes, Samson is acknowledging his dependence upon the Lord, but it is coming in the form of a complaint that is a bit inconsistent with his theology. We see... Something of a compromise here. But in verse 19, we read, And God split open the hollow place that is at Lehi, and water came out from it. So God graciously responds with miraculous provision, much like he did to that wilderness generation. Yes, they were rebuked for complaining, but God continues to preserve them and to provide for them. And he does so out of a, a, a very unexpected place, a hollow place. He cracks open and provides water to restore and revive Samson. It's another hint of that miraculous provision to the wilderness generation, which received water from the rock. And so most of the, the themes of this chapter of Samson's life are, are captured well in the Psalm of David, in Psalm 110. 
we read this. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments from the womb of the morning. The dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will bring from the brook by the way, or he will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he lifted up his head. So notice all the themes there. The Lord's enemies are restrained and subdued, providing an opportunity for the right worship of God to take place. His wrath is poured out upon the nations, filling their land with corpses, with piles of corpses, if you will. And every last enemy is destroyed. The psalm even concludes with the Lord receiving revival or satisfaction from the brook. And so Samson points forward to David, and we know that this psalm itself points forward to David's greater son, Jesus Christ, who would be the ultimate fulfillment of these themes. So again, God will restrain and conquer all his and our enemies until we are finally delivered from the power of darkness. And what is remarkable, when you pause to think about that, is that we too were his enemies at one time. How doth Christ execute the office of a king? Christ executes the office of a king in subduing us to himself. In ruling and defending us and restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. And so we had to be subdued by the king so that we might willingly be ruled by him. He had to conquer us first. And the benefit that accompanies Christ's rule is that he now becomes our defender against all of his and our enemies until he preserves us and brings us all the way home. The power of darkness that once had free reign over us, that we felt we had no way of escape, has to retreat before the might of the true king. And so we read in this close, the close of this chapter that Samson judged Israel in the days of the Philistines for 20 years. Samson was never able to accomplish complete victory. It was promised him that he would only begin the deliverance from the Philistines. But the final chapter of his narrative will explain some of the extent of the damage that he caused, really that God caused through him. So Samson's revenge in the north shows us the power of our Savior. Samson's victory at Jawbone Hill shows how the, how the Lord can turn certain defeat into his greatest display of salvation. And then Samson's recovery at Collar Spring points to the satisfaction that awaited our resurrected and exalted Lord as he was seated at the right hand of the Father. And that's where he remains today. Jesus Christ remains on his throne. 
and he'll continue to reign and rule over the hearts of his people until the final number has been subdued, until the full number has been ushered in, and until every last enemy has been destroyed. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 describes the end in this way. Verses 24 through 26, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God or the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And so even now we can agree with Paul that he has. Past tense, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. We are positionally, we are theologically already delivered. But for all eternity, we'll experience the blessings of that deliverance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. 